Good evening. This is from the great Dharma master known as William Shakespeare. To thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day. Thou cannot then be false to any man, and will amend it to anyone or anything, any principle. You cannot be false when you're true to yourself, to anyone or any, any principle. Now, we, we do know in our hearts, we understand this, but why is it true? Why is that true? How does it work? And if we examine this, we find that being true to ourself means that we honor and, and we value that peace inside, that quiet in our being that is disturbed by compromise, that is disturbed when we're out of integrity, that is disturbed when we're in denial about something. It, it jangles the wall inside when there's any dissonance between how one is behaving and what one knows to be true inside in the deep, quiet waters. So this is not about morality, of course. This is about what feels right. This is about you living with you. And that's why it makes it very hard to be false, to cheat, to dissemble, to turn away from the truth. And you think about people who just simply, you come to a point where even if it costs your life, and fortunately for most of us, we don't have to pay our lives to stay true to ourselves. We're lucky that way. Some people do. People in Iran have to. Martin Luther King Jr. had to, whose street is nearby here. Lots of people have to, but they would rather, it's a small price, really. They would rather pay their lives and not have inner dissonance, inner disharmony. Being true to yourself is the honoring of that inner quiet, that incredible peace, that ease of being. And as we acclimate, as we get used to simplifying our minds through meditation, through time spent in this kind of resting and being, we feel very, we feel very happy and at ease with just that. So we're less inclined to compromise because we're not easily tempted by trinkets and experiences. 
We understand that doing any kind of action that requires that we lie to someone we love, or even just someone we know, or even a stranger, right, is not worth it. As we acclimate to the silence, to the quiet, we realize it is such a treasure just to be, just to be at ease, just to look at this world with a lightness of heart. And so we allow our attention to keep tuning back to that true sense of self. We're all as well. It's very lovely. We allow the attention to just keep falling there. And then it's not easily tempted off of what I like to call its mountain, mountain seat of freedom. It's just very content hanging out. And therefore not susceptible to a lot of nonsense. When you are true to yourself, your actions are naturally impeccable or as impeccable as possible. Not because you're worried about an upgrade in your next life. but because you're living with you in the moment. Because you love that inner integrity, that integral sense of wholeness. You don't like it all split and jarred, fractured. It's an easy, simple, brilliant formula by that great Dharma master. And one that we all know. We all know in our own hearts already. That's why it makes sense to us. And it doesn't mean that you have to be in any way pretentiously holy. It's just a quiet, organic, natural recognition. You just know when you're about to take a step, you start to, when you're sitting in the quiet, when, you're, when that's your, what you're used to, then as soon as you take a step into a dissonance, a compromise, you start to feel it. Something doesn't feel right. And you might be able to deny a little bit. You might be able to take a few steps into the mess. But each one, you can feel it. It's getting thicker. There's more and more 
chatter in the in the mind. That's always a bad sign. And from the perspective of loving the quiet, the peace, the ease of being, one doesn't want to go into the mess anymore. You're not attracted to high drama and madness. You're attracted by what my teacher used to call the eternal. Or we could say the, the sense of beingness that you sense flowing through everything that you surely feel flowing through your own self. And as you more feel that flowing through your own self, you sort of tune into that flowing through everything and you feel this this kind of tenderness for it all. You feel this sweetness. And from that vantage point, you just wouldn't want to hurt any of it. After all, most of the beings are just struggling along. So you sit in this quiet, in this sweetness of being, feeling your own aliveness. And seeing that when you're looking around. And then there's an alignment between where you're sitting and how you're behaving, what you're saying, what you're doing, how you are in your relationships, how you are at work. This makes for a peaceful sleep. I often say, I've said it so many times, that I marvel at the ways people compromise their own peace of mind. At the little tiny payoffs they get. And they pay their peace of mind which from my point of view at this stage of life is the most valuable thing. I'm astonished at at what people will sell that for. Very little often. And I know, I know I'm not that astonished because I know there were times in my life when I was younger, when I did. Therefore, I know very well what it costs. And even now, there are times when I'll take one of those steps and too much chatter, this doesn't feel right. Redress it. Make the apology change the plan, whatever.
as you align with your own self, in your own heart, in your own being, you don't have to worry about keeping some sort of rules, some sort of morality rules, because your own heart will demand a greater set. You may break some of the conventional ones, some of the religious ones, because they may not make sense to you. But you'll keep the ones that don't disturb the wall. And this you'll just know because your own quiet heart will will let you know there's an intelligence that wakes up. There's an intelligence in this silence, a heart intelligence that guides you very well. You don't have to know one line of Dharma. To thine own self be true. So my format is a little different than usual here. Um, We do a dialogue. So I invite anyone to ask a question on this subject and we have a microphone we're going to we're going to be taping Hi. I ask, um, sometimes I find I'm in a relationship that's kind of annoying after a long period of time. And, you know, I, in the past, I've been very quick to just be like, oh, this stinks, so I'll just move on. And then, and then other times I find I stay too long, and then when I leave, I think, why didn't I leave so much earlier? And so how do you know when to break something off? <laughs> because I, I'm kind of worried that, you know, if I just leave a relationship, it'll just manifest again in another person. So I might as well just, you know, sit with this and deal with this. But at the same time, it's like, I just want a break. And it's kind of impacting other areas of my 
my spirit in my life. And are we talking about romantic relationship? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, again, to come back to this, to this honoring and valuing of the quiet of your being, right? So if that is greatly disturbed in any circumstance, my recommendation, and this is just my recommendation, I'm not claiming this is some ultimate truth. It's just how I would play it and see it. But my recommendation is to, uh, you know, to move out of circumstances that are agitating a lot of Sturm und Drang in your being. And until you're more stable, there may be a time when there's a stability of quiet in you that is able to, you know, accept or let go or, or find some sort of uh, common ground with, um, you know, that, that may, you, there may be that kind of stability that evolves for you. Um, but I haven't seen much um, use for people who just sort of bang at each other you know, ongoingly. I, what usually happens in those cases is both of them get kind of worn down. Or they find some low level of detente, some lowest common denominator, where both of them are so compromised that they're kind of little pale versions of themselves. And sometimes you see couples who've been together a very long time who have made that kind of pact. One of my friends, um, his father died after he had been married to the mother for, I think, 40 years. And it had been a horrendous relationship that was 40 years of battle. And, um, And when the father was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he was going to be dying pretty quickly, he spent his last days on this earth extracting from his wife, um, making her say that she was wrong about all kinds of things that they'd been arguing about, such as their, the cantor at their temple from 30 years before that the wife was on the committee and helped pick. And, and I mean, just ridiculous things. That also, after he died, the mother was furious because she didn't mean to retract all those things. <laughs> So she had compromised too, but she felt, you know, so to to imagine that that's where that can land, you know, that that the end of a marriage of 40 years of battle, you know. And, of course, one feels compassion in hearing this story, right? One feels tremendous compassion, but you don't want to be in either of their shoes, you know. You wouldn't want to repeat that, you know. So my, my... recommendation always is to choose peace. Choose peace. I, I feel like I have to let go of this um, wiring that I have that I'm running away and it's just going to manifest in another person or another situation. Right, do let go of that. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I've heard that from so many places that it'll just manifest, so just deal with it and learn. I know, and I've seen so many people, you know, have this idea that, you know, their relationship is hard, but they're working on their stuff, and they're working on this, and I look at their faces, 
And sometimes it's after, I'm watching it for years, you know, people who've been coming to see me for a long time, I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> and I've also seen people get away from each other because some people's chemistry is explosive or it just isn't good chemistry. Neither is necessarily wrong, right? It's just the mix isn't, isn't a happy mix. And my recommendation to you is if you can't find a happy mix, a peaceful mix, then you enjoy your aloneness. You enjoy your peace and protect it at all costs. That's my recommendation. Thanks. Because, you know, when my Buddhist teachers, when I was young, um, my, my wonderful Buddhist teachers, Joseph and various others, they used to always say, the Buddha said that peace is the highest form of happiness. Mm. And I would, you know, I was first hearing this when I was about 22 years old. And I would think, eh, peace is okay, but I can think of other happinesses. <laughs> but as it's turned out, the, that having the peace actually enhances all the other happinesses as well. You know, that none of them are that happy without a, a peaceful heart. That you can have highs and you can have a romantic night and you can have a, you know, a fling or whatever. And if there isn't a quiet in it, you're barely experiencing it anyway. You know, there's just a lot of noise. And so I really get it that peace really is the highest form of happiness and it is the ground for all the other kinds of happiness. So I say, treasure that, be, be true to that. Make that the most valuable thing. And then you also exude that, and it attracts people who love that as well. And like I said before, if it means being alone for a while, or even if it means being alone the rest of your life, better than to be in a bunch of drama and fighting and you know self-criticism and working on the problems. And now that doesn't mean, of course, that we don't, if you're in a committed relationship and, and it's basically good and there is a ground of happiness, sure, there may be times you have to be in therapy together to clear something up. There may be times that you're working something out, working something through, of course. I don't mean to run at this first sign of trouble, but I'm speaking very uh, pointedly to a sense of, uh, that sense of things are not just, they're not gelling, they're not, it's not easy, right? Hello. Do Hello you, what's your name? I'm Tara. Tara. Hi. Do you find when people are, I'm in a situation now where I'm trying to move my life more into alignment, that the choices I've made in the past have been the safe ones, let's say, financially, romantically, seem to be the path of least resistance, and mm -hmm. they were the wrong decisions for me. But now that I'm trying to move more in alignment with what is 
you know, true to me, there is a lot of compromises financially, for example, that I find that I need to make, which brings up a lot of fear. Do you find in your practice that you, you see that often also, that when people have been selling their soul, let's say, for safety, for comfort, and then stop doing that, right. that it's almost uh, sometimes it's a sort of a paralyzing fear where you just want to run back and get your blanket and say, forget it, forget it, I'll just be out of alignment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but the problem is you really can't be anymore because you already now know too much, right? So it's the, that very thing that drove you into taking the risk. And yeah, it may be, it may be uncomfortable in an adjustment but just know that it's going to be more comfortable than being in compromise. You know, it may not be. It's not always that easy to make changes out of in one's life. That you know. Yeah, I think that sometimes it's easy to see what's wrong for you, but then you're not quite sure yet what's right, what's true for you. Yes. And then you have a lot of options. And for me right now, I have a lot of options. I'm saying, what what is so finding if you've been compromising a long time in your life. It's very hard to know what is true. Yes. I think maybe sitting a while, so with it a long case, time. So in that case, it's also recommended to really get used to sitting in the unknown in your being. Sit in the quiet and the unknown, and let it let whatever is to be revealed. Let it be revealed to you. Now, of course, your mind will be active. Your mind will be playing out the scenarios. Well, what about that? And what about that? And what about that? But after some point of circulating mind, um, something may then start to, you know, pull you in a direction. Yeah, and I, I do find that I'm starting to feel that it's pulling me and I'm still sort of resisting and going, but that's a scarier way than the old way. Yeah, just to sit well, with it, and it, it, it can be, it can initially appear that way because it's a risk you feel you're taking. But it's also good to examine the fact that you really don't have a choice to go back. So when you don't have that choice, when that's taken off the table, it makes things more simple. Right. Thank you. For years and years, there was a guy coming to see me in Los Angeles. He was a director of photography for. <clears throat> a big, big advertising company that mostly advertised um, cigarettes in the third world. And so he was basically helping sell cigarettes in, to, to third world countries where um, those kind of advertising campaigns were still legal. And um, so he's coming to Dharma Dialogues and he's getting more and more quiet. And his own true self, his own, you know, quiet self started to become uncomfortable with what he was doing. And he would talk to me about it in Dharma Dialogues, very openly to the group. And he would say, you know, but I'm helping my elderly mother who's in a home, I'm giving away money, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I would just say, yeah, you know, you, you're, you're living with you. You feel into it, you know. And so as the time went on, it became more and more impossible he started to feel, every time he would hear about someone having lung cancer or emphysema, he would start to feel uncomfortable inside. He would start squirming. So one night I said to him in Dharma Dallas, because this had been going on a couple of years, I said, what is it you want to do? What, what, what would you do? What would you want to do? And he said, I'd love to quit my job 
and go to India. <laughs> so I don't usually tell people, I don't usually sort of say, you know, well, you should do that. But in his case, because I had known him a long time, I said, why don't you just do it? So he did. Um, he walked away from, he was making a ton of money. And he walked away from that. And of course, as you can imagine, the initial steps of walking away from that um, were, you know, scary. And off he went to India, you know, um, where he has been mostly living for seven years now. And he's gotten involved with all these foundations, um, all these charitable foundations whose headquarters are in America but who have bases in India. He's kind of their man in India. Um, and he's having a wonderful time, and he's kind of poor. <laughs> he's kind of run through all his money and had to give a lot for his mother. And, um, you know, but he's, he's a different person, really. He's aligned with himself. Right. So he doesn't care. He doesn't. He doesn't care about, you know, taking third-class trains and staying in places that he would have never even known existed from his old life. It's none of that. He's. I mean, he's. He's. Because he has to live with him, right? Not sure how I feel about this microphone. I'll try it. <laughs> um, for the first time a few weeks ago, um, when I was sitting, I had just had the experience of allowing the ground to hold me, mm. and things were coming up from the ground through me. Mm. Um, and at first, I was kind of excited because I was having lots of memories of when I was little and. Um, I could tell things were just moving, and it was, you know, it was exciting. And then after that, or since that, for the past like two or three days, now when anything comes up, I just like my mind just pushes it back down, um, and it's gotten really uncomfortable. Like I'm very contracted in my body, and been trying to do things that help me relax like pain. and you say some whenever anything comes up what do you mean oh like um whenever a thought comes up or an energy sensation in my body comes up my mind's like no mm-hmm. um and, and so now i can't really rest at all <laughs> um, well only if you believe that what you just said. <laughs> um, it's quite possible that you could have a very light relationship with this material that's coming up because there may be something in this material that is disturbing to you, mm-hmm. so, some part of the content that you don't like. Mm-hmm. So is it possible to sit on your mountain seat of freedom and say, any old thought is welcome, bring them on, the most depraved, mm-hmm. Right? doesn't matter, because they're just going to fly by. They won't stick. None of them stick. 
So from the vantage point of non-sticking, sky-like awareness, mm-hmm. you don't care what arises. See, that's how, that's how I feel about my own crazy mind. <laughs> I don't care what arises in it. I hardly pay attention to it. <laughs> it's mostly spam. <laughs> and one doesn't even need the delete button because it, it self-liberates, as they say in Tibetan Buddhism. It disappears on its own. Wouldn't it be nice if all our spam in the yeah. computer did that? <laughs> but in this case, it does. It just comes and it goes and it comes and it goes. And due to conditioning, not mm-hmm. to anything that is ca- you're, cause- you're not causing any of the, disturbancing, uh, the disturbances to arise. You're not causing that deliberately. Yeah, Unless it's through behavior that I was speaking about earlier, but I don't sense that's what you're meaning. So, you know, you're, you're just at the effect of conditioning, and this conditioning is arising and, and coming and going and coming and going. Okay. So you're not okay. trying. It doesn't, you don't need. Some people think that when we speak about a silence of the heart or a quiet of the mind, mm-hmm. that we mean that it literally is silent. But I'm speaking about a quiet that contains the mind. Mm. A quiet that is deeper than the thoughts. And that isn't bothered by the thoughts. So let them come and go. Cool. And don't be, don't be shocked by any of it. <laughs> don't, don't worry about how negative it might be or how icky it might be or how petty it might be. This is conditioned mind. We all have it, or almost all of us have it. Some people are lucky and don't have that kind of conditioning. Very few. <laughs> Very few. Thank Most you. of us have all kinds of conditioning, and it's on a spectrum, some worse than others. There's a lot of it that's quite difficult, you know, quite difficult to look at and experience. Yeah, things come up and I'm like, oof. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, just don't be don't be bothered by it. Even if you say the ugh, let that go too. It's going to go as well. Okay. Thank you. And then what happens is there's this brightness of being that starts to outshine mm-hmm. all this material that comes up. And you start to realize, I call it a coexisting awareness. Mm-hmm you start to realize that, oh, I can be cruising along here in this brightness of being, and it kind of doesn't really matter at all what's going on with the conditioned mind, right? It becomes like the volume gets turned way down, and it's as though your main and primary experience is that of this, like I said, brightness of being, this this restful, peaceful ease, even if, crazy thoughts are going through. Even if sometimes a hateful thought goes through or an envious thought. Or any type of thought. Whatever the thought, it's fine. You're staying with 
this coexisting awareness that begins to really be predominant. Thank you. So um, this question is not as personal as the previous one, so I hope that's okay. <laughs> so uh, um, I just, it really, you know, the, you, the, one of the major themes of your talk has been the relationship between kind of being and behavior. And it, it's just really striking me because I know that your teacher, Poonja, was often talked about the fact that there wasn't a relationship between enlightenment and behavior. Um, and, you know, the kind of discussion around that in the kind of Western advice of seeing. And so I wondered if you could expand on whether your position is different than your teacher's. Well, I never heard him say anything like that. Right. Um, I never heard him say there was not a relationship between, you know, the, the awakened perspective and the behavior and he was very tough on people who misbehaved. <laughs> so um, if he ever did say that, then I would have to disagree. Um, but I, I never heard him say that. Okay. But I'm a, I'm a long-time uh, admirer of, um, of Gandhi and so many people who've been on this earth who deeply understood the connection between how you are inside and how you manifest, how you non-violently manifest in the world. Yeah, I, I mean, it really resonates, you know, and I, I mean, I really appreciate that teaching and respect it deeply, but I guess I'm just a little bit confused because, you know, a lot of the other, you know, I'm thinking about teachers like Tony Parsons and Ganjaji have, you know, made statements about behavior kind of um, assuming a doer and there being no kind of free will. And so just trying to kind of you know, clarify those different kind of statements. And I just wondered if you had any kind of reflections on that. Yeah, well, this is the, 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 my, my um, perspective is, uh, is clear in terms of how I feel about it. This is just, again, my own perspective. Sure. Um, and what I admire, I like to see an alignment, you know, between how someone is and what they're saying and what they're doing. Um, and we're not all perfect. We're not all perfectly able to be in perfect alignment all the time. Yeah. Um, and one doesn't demand that of people either, you know, that sometimes we slip and sometimes we make a false step. Yeah. But that, that is, at least is the value, right? And aspiration. And the aspiration, yeah, sure. And, um, and, and for myself, that's, that's what I admire, not just in teachers, in anyone, you know, and, and just as an aside, my recommendation also is that if something doesn't ring true in your own heart, and I mean ring like a bell, then leave it aside. There may be something that a teacher says that does ring for you, and then they might say something two minutes later that you go, no, that doesn't really, just leave that one. Thank because the only, the only function of a teacher 
is to give his or her experience and to have it resonate in your own heart where you already know it's true. That's the, it's, it's just like a tuning fork. That's all the function is. It's not to impose more information and concepts. Be watchful of that. But rather to, to just ping where you already know it. And that gives you confidence. You see, that's the function whereby you feel, ah, understood, yes. Right? And it gives you confidence to sit in that strong, free place yourself. Because the world isn't giving us this message. Right? The world, the world is in a way giving us a different message than the one I started out with tonight. It's sort of like, you know, however much you can cheat and get away with, good, that's okay, you know. You can be a big polluter, right? And you're still going to get invited to all the fancy parties. And you're going to hobnob with the celebrities, right? Because you have money and you fly around in jets. You know, the world is giving a different message. So for us to come together and affirm what we suspect and know, really, in our hearts with each other is a really powerful thing to do. It's the power of a gathering like this. Thank you. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Peter. Um, when you talked earlier about being in your 20s and being bored with peace, um, I'm, I'm not in my 20s, and yet there's still times when I'm peaceful, and then there's part of me that says, oh, come on, there's got to be something more than this, and, and still kind of waiting for that little bit of adrenaline rush and excitement. And I'm just wondering, how did it, how has it settled down for you? Because there's still part of me that, I'm a man, so I'm more mature than you are. So, so, so I, I, I still, so, so I still kind of can't fully feel comfortable with just being peaceful. I'm just wondering what, how you respond to that. Well, like I said, like I said, it's not to, it's not to say peace at the exclusion of other types of happiness, right? It's rather that peace is the ground for the other times of excitement or, uh, you know, trying something brand new or um, whatever the thrill might be, that there's a certain well-being that is your ground where you rest in, right? That That's your kind of cruise. And that, yeah, sure, there are these little flashy things that can happen in life, and they're fun, and I like them too. And sometimes I seek them out. Um, but... I know that they're not the main meal anymore, you know. And that's the difference. And so when you're having one of those flashy experiences and you know that you can return just to your own calm and quiet, then that makes that experience all the more fun because otherwise if you're waiting and hoping and constantly, you know, reaching for some dramatic experience... They're so fleeting, right? And there's this way in which, you know, it's like the, 
like the, being home after the New, New Year's Eve party feeling uh, of like, you know, was that all there is, you know? Like, wasn't I supposed to have more fun than that? <laughs> and, and, and so you've been to the same parties I've been to. <laughs> general sense of well-being and of quiet inside, then, yeah, some things are more fun than you expected, other things are less fun than you expected, but your whole general happiness is not linked to these comings and goings, these fleeting, really fleeting experiences. So it sounds like a home base. Yeah, I like sure. That. It is the home base. It's the only real sanctuary. It's your own inner peace. It's the only sanctuary there is. We can try, and we do try, to cobble together other types of sanctuaries, and they work for a while. But even your own body gives out, you know. So to find this place, you know, to find this place that is so peaceful. You know, our dear friend Lottie, who died now a year ago, right around this time, I think, um, and I saw her several times in those last weeks. I mean, her body was a torture chamber, but she was fine. She was, I mean, she was in pain, but she was fine. She was in peace. That is the sanctuary. Thank you. And all the rest then is, you know, it's like extra. It's like the extras. People chase those extras, forgetting the main one, and try to keep piling on those, you know, hoping to pile one experience after the next, after the next, as a form of happiness. Don't we know people who just run from one experience to the next, or more and more objects, you know, more shiny objects, more experiences, more objects, object experiences, relationship, da-da, you know, just... A big chase, and never satisfied. Why? Because those are fleeting experiences, right? But when you experience a fleeting experience, and you're and you're fine, and you're easy, and you're quiet, and you're true in your own self, it's fine, right? You don't demand much of it. I guess that's the difference. You know, that's the difference I would say is you stop demanding of your fleeting experiences some great surge of happiness and you turn to where the real true happiness is, the real well-being, the real joy that James uh, is so brilliantly turning people to the easy access to joy. And it turns out it's so simple. Thanks. Yeah. There's one in the front here.
Hi, my name is Matthew. Um, I was just wondering about, like, um, just now you mentioned that when you compromise yourself, for example, you might disturb the inner peace that's inside. How about things like worry or panic that eat away the inner peace as well, yeah. but you don't really compromise yourself. But, like, for example, you try to tell yourself you let go, but they come back all the time. Yeah. So yeah, what do yeah. you do about that? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, well, it is a matter of redirecting the attention as best you can. So even if it's 10,000 times a day that you have to choose peace again in the midst of the worrying thought, right? In the midst of the fear thought, in the midst of whatever the thought. Even if you have to keep saying to yourself, okay, coming back, you always have your bodily sensations to ground you in the now, right? You can always go right into your sensory doors. So whether it's, you know, the feeling of if you happen to be outside, if the feeling of the air on your skin, uh, the wind on your skin, or the sun on your skin, or, um, you know, if it's your breath, or, you know, using the meditation practice to really ground yourself over and over again in the midst of these worrying thoughts to com- completely interrupt them, right? Just interrupt it as much as you can. And that then creates more of a habit. You'll start interrupting the worrying thought more quickly or the worrying mood such that it shifts like a, like a sand dune. Shape shifts when wind blows it, right? It goes from looking this way and it kind of shapes over to this way. And in your own case, the habit can shape shift from mostly worry but being blown by the winds of your intentionality to move into quiet. It goes into mostly quiet with some worry speckled in. And it's a habit that comes with, with time, actually. And with these inter- little tiny interruptions, they'll do it. So it's all you need. It doesn't have to be any big dramatic thing. You might even... You know, there might be plenty of worry still left, <laughs> but you're, you're now in the habit of just pop out of it, snap out of it frequently. And use whatever you, whatever you need to to do that. Right? Give yourself treats. Right? It doesn't have to just be a meditation kind of program. Do, use whatever you need to pop out of it. Because... The thing is with the brain, and I know James has explored this. Have you taken his joy course? It's really wonderful. Um, What happens with our brain is that, um, as they say, the neurons that fire together wire together. So as you kind of practice certain mind habits, mind streams, it's actually conditioning your brain to keep throwing those kinds of mind streams up. And the other side of that is as you practice or as you steep in beingness, it also trains your brain to go there more quickly, more consistently. So the point is to keep interrupting it as much as possible when it's in that worrying thing in order to interrupt those neurons from firing 
in that unpleasant way. Not to make it bad or wrong at all, just to know that you don't really want to experience this any one minute more than you have to. I'm trying to visualize a world um, without compromise. And um, in particular with rela- in relationships and with groups of people who are trying to come to a consensus or um, work on things. And, and I, I sense it would be anarchy and, and chaos and... Um, and I also think that maybe uh, there needs to be some compromise to accomplish things. Or so I, I'm I'm a little confused about the definition yes. of compromise. The word compromise, and yeah. And, and you're making a very good point, a good distinction. Um, <clears throat> so the compromise that I'm speaking about is the compromise that is involved in um, untruth and in harmful behavior and in denial of things that are convenient to deny but in the end are not throwing the light on something that needs to be uh, brought forth. Now I'm not talking about the kind of compromise that we generally have to make in relationship and in accomplishing things. Yes, and as I as I alluded to earlier, in, in relationships, in committed relationships that have a general agreement of well-being, Sure, people will make compromises, you know. Um, I don't mean that kind of compromise. I mean the kind of compromise that kills your soul, if you know what I mean by that. The kind of compromise where you feel a little sick from it, right? Um, The kind of compromise that keeps you up at night. That one. But yeah, I mean, I I, I sometimes... uh, well, I do feel, I really feel for people in positions of high power. For instance, our, our dear president, who I, I admired very much. Um, I feel for him because I sense him to be such a sensitive being. And I've read his book, Dreams from My Father, which really indicates just how refined a mind this is. And I think about him having to probably make very tough decisions about sending in drones to kill people and things like that. I I feel for people in those kinds of positions of power, and I wonder sometimes if they really knew what it was, would they have wanted it so much, you know? I'm glad he did, but it's another aspect of a lucky life to not have to make those kinds of compromises. And if you have such a life, as most of us probably do, really we should let ourselves have the appreciation. Sometimes, you know, we we envy people in power. And uh, perhaps sometimes that that envy is really misplaced. It's 
Well, we're nearing the end of the uh, evening here. I thought it would be nice to just sit for a few minutes together before we do just three or four minutes. Um, And before we do that, uh, I'd like to mention that um, we sometimes have webcasts, as as Deborah said. Um, And if you sign our (coughs) list back there and just give us your email, uh, we'll let you know when we're going to be having a live series of webcasts. Okay, so sit for just two or three minutes. 